The book was better. Hello. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Woohoo. Episode we are back. 20. And it's it's been a while, but we're glad to be back and glad to have had some time to to regroup and, and figure some stuff out in our personal lives. Mm-hmm. If you want to hear more about what we did with our time off, you can listen to our mini-sode where we're going to talk about that. The mini-sode that was supposed to come out a couple weeks ago, but like listen. stuff happens. <laughs> so um, I think we're going to try The reason that the hiatus happened happened okay (laughs) um i think we're gonna try to release that maybe on like sunday and then we'll release our normal mini sode next wednesday yeah so if you want to hear more about our crazy lives and why we needed a couple weeks off then you can listen to that and listen to our ramblings over there but today we're gonna have different ramblings Yes. Ramblings of, of the book nature, which is what we're all about here. Yes. Hopefully better. you. That's so, why you're listening. <laughs> but um, uh, clearly we've we've been on a hiatus because we've forgotten how to do this. So welcome right. to the Book Was Better podcast. I'm Kaylee Clark. I'm Taylor Collette. We will be talking about an amazing film mm. from book adaptation um William Goldman's the, the Princess Bride. I mean, it's so good. The book is good, the movie's good. I don't know how anybody could not like this movie. I don't know if I've ever met someone who doesn't like it. I think the only people I've met who don't like it don't like it out of like a everyone else likes it, so I can't like it. Ooh, I'm like, a hipster. I yeah, don't hipster the mentality. <laughs> and then I'm like, you genuinely like actually like it. You just don't want to admit it, so because how could you not? So any other announcements or anything before I jump into this? Thank you to everyone who's been uh, interacting over on our social media during this hiatus. I've been trying to get some feedback and kind of adjust how we're going to do things going forward over on our social media pages. Um, I'm hoping to really get back into that. Um, been making some plans. If you're not following us on social media, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, YouTube, uh, TikTok. TikTok, all at uh, TBWD podcast, except on Twitter, there's an underscore. It's TBWD underscore podcast. somebody took it. Someone. <laughs> Why? How dare they? <laughs> um. But yeah, definitely head over there and uh, give us a follow. Uh, We will be doing lots of more posts and fun exclusive content and giveaways and just lots of fun stuff over there. Um, We love interacting with you. As we've mentioned in the past, the hard thing with podcasts is there's no like audience interaction, really. I mean, we do like the. You know, the fan faux pas, which are great, but we don't really get a whole lot of feedback on these. (laughs) So um, we love interacting with you guys over there. And if you ever have any feedback for us or something you want to add about an episode, definitely go over there and let us know. We love hearing your thoughts. Uh, But yeah, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I think Um, that we also have. If you're not a social media user, another reminder that you could also just email us at tbwbpodcast at gmail.com as well. Yes. Um, Give we us have your gotten thoughts. 
some um, suggestions and and fan faux pas and other things that way. Yeah, if you uh, ever have a book or movie you want us to do, definitely let us know. We have such a long list that any help in narrowing that down is great. <laughs> yep. Alrighty, so we've got William Goldman's The Princess Bride. So obviously he wrote the book. The book was published in 1973. I didn't write this down. This is my problem. I'm going off. I'm, I'm going off of the top of my head. Oh, that was so a risky endeavor. 1973. And then I'm pretty sure the movie came out in 1987. <laughs> that was but a bold move. Totally wrong. I should have just written it down. Oh, I was right. OK, so, yeah, the film came out in 1987 and the book was published in 1980, 1973. Sorry. So the book did come first. Some people think the book came after the movie and that's not the case. The book did come first. So but that is I can understand why understandable. people would think that because, well, we'll get that into that in a minute. So The Princess Bride was directed by Rob Rayner and the screenplay was by William Goldman, the same guy who wrote the book. It's this is a very rare. I can't think very of a single rare. other occurrence where even, even in instances where the original author like was a consultant or like was, was involved one in any of way. the screenwriters, but like the screenplay was done entirely by William Goldman, who also wrote the book. Like he wrote the book and then he went and wrote the screenplay and then tried to get it made. Like there was no one else really involved in the screenplay writing he process. About, it's not like he was it like, got. I picked want this up. to be a movie. <laughs> It didn't get picked up by a studio and then he was brought on to write the screenplay. Like, no, he wrote the screenplay and then was like, someone make my movie. Brilliant man. Well, and William Goldman is kind of a unique person in the sense that he he's in his career. He did. He wrote books and then he did a lot of screenplay writing mm -hmm. and he was a producer and he did. So he he was very involved in both the publishing world and the film world, um, which helped which a lot. Which is pretty cool. But you if you've read the book, you will find that there are very few major differences because it was his story. Like and he knew what was important and what needed to stay the same and what well, and wasn't as important and could be cut out. So <laughs> what's funny is the book real quick in the book, he acts as if there was this historical account of this story that he then takes and cuts out the bad parts and just talks about the good parts. And so it already is own like quote unquote, as he calls it, only the good parts of this story. So then he went and t turned it into a movie and cut out even more. So it really is like only the good parts the good of parts. only the good parts. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a very interesting story in that way. It's unique, definitely unique. It, I don't there's no I don't think I've ever come across another book or story like it. So um, but to continue uh, the music, which was beautiful and mm -hmm. super well done. Is, uh, music was, yes, as always, uh, was by Mark Knopfler. And then casting was done by Janet Hershenson and Jane Jenkins. And they also did phenomenally well. Though I will say that the author 
Will, 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 why am William I Goldman. William Goldman. Was, I've only said his name like 17 times. Uh, it's <laughs> early in the morning. Um, he was also pretty heavily involved in the casting. He kind of already had people like in mind. Mm-hmm. Like Fezzik, for instance. He knew he wanted Andre to play that part. Well, because nobody else existed that would be <laughs> that, that could good. play that role. <laughs> um, and like he and Mandy Patinkin and stuff like that. Like he had people in mind as people to be cast. And so the casting. But then the casting directors kind of had to make it happen. <laughs> yeah. So like props to them for making it happen. But it is interesting that it was almost like, you know, when you're writing a book and you're like, what's my dream cast? And if it ever got made and you like pick mm-hmm. out these celebrities that's kind of what happened for him it's kind of cool <laughs> very true very true well but also it's like robin wright who you know plays buttercup mm-hmm. i don't know if she had done a really done much i think this, this was movie. her debut role her like main yeah and she did amazing and she is beautiful and amazing and i love her her hair i is love robin just... wright Gorgeous. She's been in a lot since. Yes, yes. But I believe that was her, like, breakout role. Yeah, I think so. She's amazing, and I love her. So. And Carrie And old Fred Savage. Pretty sure that was his debut role, too, because he's just the little boy, Fred Savage. Oh, I was like, <laughs> who are we talking about? This is probably one of the things that Carrie Ells is most well-known for as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. So. I remember I met him once at a comic con and most people there were there to talk about the princess. Bride. Wesley. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's in some other really fun stuff. Like his part Robin Hood. Psych is hilarious. Oh, yeah. So his part good. Is but Robin Hood Men in Tights is hilarious. Oh, That's yeah. Something that, that he did in the so 90s. Funny. And then he's also the uncle in Ella Enchanted, isn't he? Oh, yeah, he yeah. is. <laughs> I so forgot he's done about some fun that. stuff since. Yeah. So he, what's just funny such a good is cast. he frequently plays bad guys. <laughs> Frequ- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now that like it is, once he got a little bit older and, you know, he wasn't in the right age group to play the, you know, like the main swashbuckling hero. hero he just yeah, turned was, straight. Villain. He was like, OK, cool. I'm going to be a bad guy now. <laughs> He's so but good. I also love Mandy Patinkin in Criminal Minds. So he's he will forever be an ego Montoya in my mind, though. I know he's so good. He's so good. All right, but anyway, casting is um, amazing. Casting's <laughs> real good. That was a little bit of a tangent. I don't know how anybody listening to this doesn't know what the storyline of the Princess Bride is, but <laughs> just don't, in case, here's or if here's it's a been a while, s- here's just a good summary to get us in the right state of mind. So we have Buttercup and Wesley. Wesley is the farm boy who works on her parents' farm. They've known each other since they were small. And once they are like (laughs) children, since they're children, once they're like, I don't know, mid-teens, whatever, they like realize that they love each other. And Wesley's like, okay, cool. Well, I have no money. So peace out. I love you, but I'm going to go make my fortune. And then... Pirates sees the ship he was on and she thinks he died. And then she's considered the most beautiful woman in the world. So then the prince is like, okay, I got to have her as my wife. 
And she's like, hey, whatever. I'm not going to love ever again. So I'll just go <laughs> along with it, I guess. <laughs> what a summary. <laughs> so then she gets kidnapped by these three people who not all of them are actually that bad, right? Because Inigo is one of them and so is Fezzik. And then the men in black comes and saves her from them. And then she discovers that the men, is, men in black is actually Wesley and he didn't die. And the, he was the man, he, the man in black. What did I say? Men in black. Men in black. <laughs> Whatever. And he joined the pirate's crew and he is now the Dread Pirate Roberts. And then they get caught and he gets captured and she goes back. But then he escapes and they take down the evil Prince Humperdinck and then they escape and they all live happily ever after. So. Wow. I should write for spark notes, shouldn't I? <laughs> You know, in uh, you know, in Ant Man, when uh, his friend gives the story <laughs> summary, or Olaf in Frozen, yeah, <laughs> Frozen Two. <laughs> it's great. It's great. Listen, I don't know who goes story. first because it's been a little while. It's been a so. while. You want to um, go did first? We finish with? Did we finish? We we finished with Devil Wears Prado, right? Yeah. I think you might have gone first. Sure. Uh, I will go first this time. Alrighty. All right. So it's been a while, but it's been a while. For those who don't remember, three, two, one. We we start with our our third, and then move to our most important topic, our most important grievance. Except they're not all grievances this time. So is been a my number tough three. One. My number three is an anti-grievance, so <laughs> as we've come to call them. So my number three is that I think the concept of a story within a story works better on film than it does in written form. And while I think that William Goldman did a phenomenal job with writing the book, and like I said before, it's super unique. I don't think I've ever seen anything else like it. I mean, he's kind of a literary genius in that way where I really haven't seen something done to the point where I still get confused when I read it and go, wait, is S. Morgenstern really a person? Like, no, he's not. He's not a real person. It's just William Goldman creating well, like, this whole I kept being thing. like, is, <laughs> is Florin a real country that I just, like, forgot about? Forgot about? <laughs> Well, because it apparently doesn't exist anymore, even in William Goldman's history in the book. It used to be be between, like, Spain and France or something. But, like, they still, like, he, like, talks about going to a museum there. And, like, seeing all of the items that used to be there. And I was like, what the? I'm so confused. So he he took, like, world building to, like, a whole new level. So Yeah, he immersed himself in that world and it's just crazy and really really interesting surprisingly still simple enough to read right like when you think of that idea or at least when I think of that kind of concept in my head of writing a story within a story and having kind of two separate worlds that still have to coexist and still make sense together and separately all in a book that overwhelms my mind mm -hmm. <laughs> and Thinking about having to write that cohesively and in an organized fashion, I could never, you know, but he <laughs> yeah. does it in a way that is still fairly easy and simple to follow and understand. But with that said, 
it makes so much more sense on film and it's even easier to follow and kind of comprehend what's this part of the story and what's not and whose thoughts are whose when it's on screen and been filmed and it's very distinct kind of, oh, now we're back in this timeline. Okay, now we're back in this story. It's not a, it's not a grievance, uh, but it's also not necessarily a complaint against the book either because I still enjoyed, I still enjoy reading the book. I've read it multiple times, but I do think that turning this story within a story kind of notion made a lot of sense on film. It's, yeah, like you said, it's more cut and dry uh, where you can clearly see we're in this world, now we're in this world. It's going to be easier to follow just visually rather than on page where all the words look the same. <laughs> yeah. Well, except sometimes they're italics, italicized and sometimes, but only sometimes. they're not. Yeah, it's yeah, it's 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 it's, di it's different. But yeah, if you haven't read the book before, I really think you should. It's a it's a trip. It's really good, though. Mm -hmm. It's a little weird in the beginning. It takes a, the, the, for my first time reading it. You have to kind of get over that initial. What is this in the beginning? But then once you actually get to the Princess Bride part, then it starts to get really good. So. Mm -hmm. And uh, my number three kind of goes off of that. Um, talking about the structure of the way that the book is versus the movie. And I specifically wanted to talk a bit more about the fact that in the book, it's just him reminiscing on this story that his dad used to read to him when he was sick and like his grandfather read it to his dad when he was sick. And it's this story written by S. Morgenstein that has been passed down in his family, essentially, um, and he talks about how his dad is from Florin, which doesn't exist. So, again, confusing. Um, and then he tells the good parts of the story and throughout it kind of reminisces back on when his but dad would read it to realize that that's what his dad did, because it's not until he gets the book for his son in the book. Mm -hmm that he realizes that his dad would skip over a ton of just super boring, meaningless stuff. So he's been going on his whole life thinking that this S. Morgenstern is like this amazing author and this is the greatest book ever written and how come more people don't know this story only to learn like, oh, his dad kind of while reading it aloud to him abridged it. Like, <laughs> well, because it's supposed to be a historical account of something like that actually happened. Yeah. So obviously it's going to have a lot of boring history stuff. So they would chop it to just the good parts. And in the book, you know, it works. It's fun. It's very interesting. Mm -hmm. But I do kind of like in the movie how they just have it be a child with a grandpa reading to yeah. the child. And you just get this child's feedback on this story that he's listening to for the first time classic line is this a kissing book i mean just <laughs> little boy wait, energy wait 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 <laughs> is this a kissing book <laughs> just skip to the good part yeah sword fighting that sounded good or pirates that sounded good let's compare <laughs> so and i think that that also opened it up to 
a younger audience to relate to a little bit more. Because mm-hmm. as a child, I remember being like, yeah, I totally. Yeah, that's weird. We thought that was hilarious. Yeah. That line especially. Yep. Like we felt a kinship felt to it. this little boy sick it. in bed. <laughs> when we did not care about romance. And so I really think that it played well in the movie to have it be this grandpa reading to his son, which isn't far off from the book in the fact that that is what uh, William kind of talked about happening Mm -hmm. in this fictional reality. But I just think it was, like you said, easier to understand it in the movie format because you could visually see it. And it was just a little bit more simplified by having it only be his childlike experience, not any of his adult commentary. Adult commentary throwing back to his child experience. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That was too meta. So. And then just a side comment off of that with the fact that it is a movie. I personally liked the fight scenes more just because you can actually see them happening in front of you and. Mm. Reading fight scenes is great, but I just think that Mandy and Carrie did a great job. The one thing that I will say, though, is because movies, right, are got that time constraint. Mm -hmm. We talk about that frequently is that it makes it seem almost like if you can hear knocking on the door, that's my daughter. Liv, what? Did you get rid of it? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, go grab your iPad. No. I don't want to. I want no idea. Okay, you have to stay quiet if you're going to stay in here. Okay, this will be fun. Okay, mm-hmm. anyway, what I was saying. They have a time constraint, so the... There's that time constraint, and so you have to shorten fights. You know, if they yeah. weren't as long as they were. You can't and have so, a 20 minute fight scene in an hour and a half long movie. <laughs> right. It makes it kind of, I don't know. I, I just feel like in the book, you realize that like the man in black beats Inigo just barely. They're a lot more evenly They're matched. They're way more evenly matched. And also the only, but, but it makes it a pretty, pretty fair point And a pretty strict point is that the only reason why the man in black was able to beat Inigo is because of the um, landscape landscape change yeah when when they were in the forest and the boulders and there was like a lot going on an ego was fierce you know and and wesley couldn't really he was a pirate he was not used to fighting with right like boulders like and trees around him having to keep all of that in in check was like too hard for him but once he was able to move the battle out into more just the open that's when he kind of got the advantage but again it still it still talks about how he just barely won mm-hmm. just barely and yeah, he's supposed to get a little bit more like bloodied up he, and he stuff. gets cut multiple times by an ego before but he I d- disarms an ego so i do think in the movie sense they were trying to make the man in black more of this epic hero which uh he kind of talks about in the book a little bit on his own thoughts and processes Mm -hmm. 
Um, they wanted him to be this grand hero that no one could best. And so I definitely think that they kind of played more on that in having him be so OP. <laughs> I felt like the fact that he gets cut multiple times. So he's already injured. Got some blood loss. Keeps going. Still defeats Fezzik. This giant of a man. Right. And keeps going. Drinks some poison and keeps. Go- you know what I mean? Like it. it and then goes into the fire swamp. Yeah. That tells me but that's more of our modern interpretation of heroes. I feel like back in like the 80s, it was more the I am invincible. Machismo. Yeah, maybe. OK, well, that's just my thoughts. You meant you brought it up and uh, that was my thoughts. So cool. <laughs> just just I'll go on to my number two now. So. OK, uh, my number two grievance is an actual grievance in some aspects and not in others. So. So Buttercup's personality Mm. Mm. is just different. I'll start with Buttercup's personality in the book being a little bit more cold. Oh, yeah. Maybe a little bit more dense. Um, I, I don't know. She's. I would I would I don't know if. Uh, dense is how I would describe it. In the beginning, she just just seems dense. It takes her so long to realize that Wesley's in love with her and even longer for her to realize she's in love with him. But in the book, what I like even more, what I like in the book is Buttercup confesses first, you know? Yeah, but it takes so long. And goes and tells, yeah, not that long. She's 17. They're young still, you know, I guess can't expect a 15 year old to pick up on that kind of stuff. But back then (laughs) you you don't. That's a falsehood, actually, and a myth. And I could go into that a different time. Not now. We don't have the time for it. But (laughs) um, so she's way more cold in the book. And I like that they change. So so I'll, I'll bring up a specific example being when they get caught outside the fire swamp mm-hmm. in the movie, Buttercup goes, you know, right. Or she's all like, I almost died losing you once. Like I, I couldn't bear to do it again. But in the book, she's just like, I'd rather live than die. And I can live without love. Like, it's just like, so, <laughs> I forgot about that. It's so cold and like bitter and just like, okay. What? Like, you know, because in, in the book too, Wesley's like, you'd rather live without love than die with your love. And she's all like, well, I'd have to admit that right now living sounds better than dying. It's just. Yeah. Different. She is something. But but in other ways, I like her more in the book because she takes more action. Mm. She's not a, in the in the movie. I get really bugged because she seems really passive. Mm hmm. She that, gets caught on fire by the thing that just sits scene, there. Just, she oh. she just falls into the thing and is gone forever. She just stands there while Wesley's getting attacked by the That's RUSs. The worst part. And then oh, screams for him when they start approaching her. Like, she's not that passive and weak helpless. <laughs> in the book. Helpless. First of all... They learn how the fire spurts out before anybody gets caught on fire. So nobody gets caught on fire in the book. 
But it's way more fun to see someone get caught on oh, fire. Yeah. True, true. But but still. And then, and granted, this would be hard to do in the movie. I agree. But, you know, when it, you get this inner monologue from uh, Buttercup when she falls into the, the lightning sand or the snow sand or whatever. They call it different things in the movie, in the book that. OK, she's got to spread out all eagle and spread herself as much as possible so that she falls as slowly as possible. So that there's an increase, you know, like it, mm-hmm. you know, that she's actually doing what she can to survive, too, and help. Yeah, Wesley. that, that and would have been hard to show. That would have been hard to show. But then when they do meet the R.O.U.S.s, she isn't helpless. And when he does get hurt, she doesn't just stand there. She immediately starts like ripping her dress to create bandages to try and Mm. help stop the bleeding and like wrap his wound and stuff. Yeah. Um, And also they get attacked by way more R.U.S.s in the book than they do in the movie. I mean, I guess that's all just to say there were good changes to Buttercup's personality in the movie and then some that I didn't quite agree with. I I didn't love her in either, so. <laughs> I don't know. I still really like her. Like you said, there's she's pros not and cons your, She's both. not your typical damsel in distress in either one, which is nice. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do like in the movie that she kind of like says some stuff to Humperdinck that I'm like, yeah, you tell him. But also that fire swamp scene kills me every time because she is just a dead fish. She's just like, help me, help me. Yeah. So it's okay. It's fine. Um, I still like her, but definitely pros and cons to her personality there. So, yeah, that's my number two. Okay, my number two is not not necessarily a bad thing. It's uh, talking about the ending of the book versus the movie. Uh, the movie ends, you know, they fight Humperdinck, kind of. It's not much of a fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they all leap out of the window. <laughs> Sorry, that scene always makes me laugh because no one asks Buttercup to jump out of the window. She just gets up there and just jumps. And it's like, you better catch me. <laughs> Okay, but same thing when she tumbles down the ravine yeah. after Wesley. In the book, it, it it specifically says how, like, she tries really hard in the beginning to, like, stay on her feet. But eventually, but falls, like, yeah. the steep incline is just too much. Nope, and then she, she falls. She just head flings first. herself <laughs> into a headlong roll down that ravine in the movie. So and funny. it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Yeah, and the the same thing at the end, when she just leaps out the window in the dramatic dress moment, it always mm-hmm. kind of cracks me up a little bit. But then, you know, they get on the horses, it they ride the off. It was the 80s, Taylor. It was True. the 80s. <laughs> uh, they ride off into the sunset, and they have the the kiss of all kisses. and. But that happens earlier in the book. Mm-hmm. It's the kiss then, before he leaves that's the kiss that's above all five kisses or whatever. But it's it's a very, you know, poetic movie ending. Mm-hmm. And then it oh, ends sure. and it's great. Everyone lived happily ever after. In the book, they escape. And then <laughs> you learn that there was more to the story. They didn't all live happily ever after necessarily. Wesley relapsed. Inigo's wounds reopen. Fezzik takes a wrong turn and they get lost. Humperdinck's guards are coming after them and then it ends and you're like okay cool well but that's 
That's all a part of the running joke of the unpublished sequel, Buttercup's Baby. Buttercup's Baby, yes. So. And so, the, you know, there's this assumption. Because the whole book is this, is, 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 is it's this comedy, right? Like, the whole yeah. book is just this comical satire. Just, they're just making fun of things left and right, you know? And, and that's one of them. Where it's All like, he man, wants is to get Buttercup's Baby published. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and the, again, that was another thing where I was like, is this a real thing? And I had to look it up and be like, okay, no, it's not. No, um, it's not. <laughs> like, but I, I do think it's interesting. I mean, I totally get the change and I'm not mad about it. Cause I think that it would have been kind of a weird ending to be like, and maybe mm-hmm. they all got caught and died. I don't know. Um, so I get why they made the change, but it is a very kind of bleak note to end the book on. Yeah, it's kind of funny where you read it and you're kind of like, what? (laughs) That's okay, cool. And then it's just over. Yeah, I'm not mad about it. I just thought it was an interesting change. And I thought I would mention for those who either haven't read the book or kind of forgot how it ends. It's you know, it's implied that maybe it's not all happily ever after for them. Maybe they all die. (laughs) Which is kind of realistic. Yes. Because in the movie, when you see how much Inigo is bleeding. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. he took a freaking dagger to the gut. Okay. Like, yeah. And multiple stab wounds. And multiple stab wounds. And it's like he pulled the dagger out, too, which is what you're not supposed to yeah, do. Yeah, you're not supposed to do that. Because stop the bleed. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, and he's supposed to live on and go become the next dread cap- like Captain dread pirate roberts or whatever you you know like (laughs) it's yeah and like wesley's still just coming back from the dead and humperdink isn't dead they didn't kill him no but they don't kill him in the movie either he he was just tied to a chair (laughs) he easily could have gotten out and been like after them so it's realistic but i get the fairy tale ending of wanting happily ever after in the movie yeah no, people would have been mad if they didn't get that in the movie. I think mm-hmm. you can get away with that better in books than you can in films. Yeah. Especially but. back in the 80s. Yes. And everything was sunshine and roses. Yeah. Nowadays, there's quite a few movies that have that bittersweet, vague ending. Or just straight up sad ending. And I'm like, yeah. why? <laughs> a lot of those. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that's my number two. Any honorable mentions before I get got a few. I got a few. It's kind of just a random thing that I noticed. It is shark infested waters rather than the shrieking eels. Mm-hmm. Not mad about that change. I think if it had been sharks, it would have freaked me out a little bit more as a kid. So. Oh, really? And I thought I liked that it was it made it more fantastical because sharks are real. <laughs> Well, shrieking just, eels or not. Like, <laughs> well, that's just it. I think that it was good that in the movie it was shrieking eels because as a kid I was like, those don't really exist. It's fine. If it had been sharks and I was like, dang, those are real. I ain't going in the ocean. <laughs> yeah. I, I already feel that way. But. Well, um, I also. Um, Humperdinck himself in yes. the. In the book is described he's a lot uglier yes and a lot weirder looking um, yes in his description but he's also 
Just, he's just the way he's described. He's just very different than what he looks like. Well, in the and movie. what's interesting is I was going to mention this as well. You see a bit more of Humperdinck's like backstory, kind of. I don't know what you want to call it, but essentially you see him being like, I'm not going to marry the princess from Gildan. I'm going to marry Gilder. this random commoner. Gilder. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Gildan, I think, is a brand. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm going to marry this well, random commoner instead. But what's funny instead. is Florin and Gilder are both old money terms. Oh, like, there you go. A Florin was like a coin, and I think a Gilder was also a different kind of coin. Like, That's they're funny. old money. That's where he got the name of these countries from. <laughs> uh, but you just see that Humberdink kind of had this grand scheme from the get go where he just did not like Gilda, Gilder mm-hmm. and didn't want to marry their he princess. He likes fighting and he likes. He wanted the war. Hunting and he just wanted more reason to hunt and fight, basically. Yeah. Like, and I'm going to go into this more on number one. With my number one, but like he he was all about conquering things, mm-hmm. so it was interesting seeing that he's very different in the movie. Yes, not bad, but very different. Um, a good thing I'll say is that, and again, it's not super surprising knowing that both the screenplay and the book were written by the same guy, but a lot of the best lines from the mo- book go directly into the movie. Mm-hmm. Any quotable line in this movie is directly taken out of the book. Like, they follow that very closely. So, yeah, that was good. You got all the classic lines still, which was great. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that is in the movie that is not in the book is um, after they do their lovely, horrible tumble down the hill. Oh, the reunion. The reunion scene in the in the book, they just go to the fire swamp. There's no, like, poetic, beautiful... Well, it um, cuts... In the book, it cuts to Humperdinck. Yeah. And then when it cuts back to Buttercup and Wesley, they're already, yeah, on their way to the fire swamp. Fire swamp. Like, it's, in yeah, in it's the movie, stupid. we get that scene of them, you know, having that kind of romantic scene at the bottom of the hill where they're finally back together and they talk for a little bit about it. Which I think is good for the movie. I think that it kind of helps with oh, that romantic storyline. I would have been so mad. And I think even because um, I was reading a little bit about William and his thoughts as he was doing the movie. And he even agreed that, I mean, again, he wrote it. He wrote the screenplay and he realized that that was an important scene that needed to be added. Yeah. Oh, for sure. So. Those are my honorable mentions. Then I will get into my number one. So number one. Uno. So for my number one, this is a grievance. It's an understandable change, but I can still be grievanced <laughs> by it. So <laughs> grieved by it? I don't know. So in the book, there are we you kind of touched on this, but there are so many flashbacks. And Mm. so much more backstory. You understand a little bit more Buttercup and Wesley's relationship growing up, as well as her kind of awful parents. (laughs) Her parents weren't great. Um, They were completely cut from the movie because, yeah, they really weren't necessary. But 
they weren't great. I also don't think they would have added to like the fairy tale romance no. vibes. But, but it's just like <laughs> in for, for book Buttercup, you know, who's a little bit more standoffish sometimes and can be a little bit more cold and stuff. She didn't have a great example of like a loving relationship growing up to look at because her parents were not great to each other or to her all that often, you know, and you mm -hmm. see that in the book as well as her change in relationship with Wesley. You get this fantastic backstory and all of the, the, the backstory for Wesley and Buttercup is isn't really backstory because it's how the story begins. But then Inigo, Fezzik, Vizzini, you get their backstories as flashbacks, like when you're kind of first introduced to each of them. Yeah, the so, the movie definitely does more exposition there where he just like tells the story of which, the six fingered which man works, right? Like it, mm -hmm. it, it still works when he, you know, because he in the book, he does say like, no, I'll let you rest like you rest for a minute before we begin. And so it's like while he's resting, might as well talk about your sword and your backstory, you know, like yeah. who you or are. Or when when Wesley and Buttercup are walking through the fire swamp and he explains how he became the Dread Pirate Roberts. Dread Pirate Roberts instead of it being a flashback, a flashback memory, backstory, yeah. Um, or when Fezzik says to him, it's been a long time since I fought just one man. Like, it's very different than fighting a group mm -hmm. kind of thing. Like, he doesn't say that in the book. You understand that from understanding his backstory and how he came to be where he was kind of thing. Yeah. So, um and then kind of like you mentioned with Humperdinck, you get more of an understanding of why he is the way he is and what things have happened there because you get some flashbacks and things there, too. So I'm not. Again, we understand there's time constraints. I get you can't do all of the showing. Sometimes you do have to do a little bit of telling. But I really like that in the book it is shown to you. It's not just told. Mm -hmm. it's it's really heart-wrenching knowing more and being able to see more of Fezzik's life growing up you know mm. or just how hard Inigo's father's death hit him and how you know he already kind of had nothing but he was happy because he had his dad and his dad loved him and he loved his dad kind of thing and then that was taken from him and it's just you get a better view and understanding and also with Vizzini he's even he's really weird looking in the book you know where he's mm -hmm. one he's leg shorter than the other yeah, he's got hunchback. a hunchback his face is weird and everything like he doesn't look deformed in the movie like he does like he's supposed to in the book where you can understand kind of why he has focused more of his you, you know, he's focused all of his time on studies and being smart and intelligent and kind of beating people that way. And he kind of clings to that as his like mm -hmm. only valuable trait. Yeah. So um, it's an understandable change. Mm -hmm. But I still really enjoyed having that further backstory and further information on each of the characters. It's one of my favorite things about this story is how fleshed out the side characters all are as well. Mm -hmm. it, it, it doesn't ride solely on, you know, just like the two main protagonists. Like you really get a, an under, a solid understanding of the side characters and really start to like them and appreciate them. And you, you get even more 
from the book. You still get a lot from the movie. Don't get me wrong, but you get more from the book. So Mm -hmm. that's my number one. Yes. Before I dive into my number one, I realize I forgot someone when we were talking about the great casting. How can Mm -hmm. we not talk about Billy Crystal? Yeah, that's true. (laughs) The Magic Max. (laughs) Yes. Miracle Max, I mean. Miracle Max. Max. (laughs) Magic. (laughs) No. No. Miracle Miracle Max. That scene is freaking hilarious. He does a great job. Him and his wife are both like young In the the old people. In like tons of makeup makeup. and stuff it's so great (laughs) and i will that's one of the only scenes where they actually went a little bit off script because they kind of just let him go and her and her go Mm -hmm. and it turned out i'm your wife after that comment i don't even know if i want to be that anymore (laughs) it's a hilarious scene so i just had to bring that back up just Love Billy Crystal and his wife and what they did in that scene. It always makes me laugh. Good luck storming the castle. <laughs> Classic Bye-bye. line. Think they can do it? It would take a miracle. <laughs> Such a great scene. Work? So good. Um, so just had to mention that. But the movie's My- filled with that, you know? Like, it's just mm-hmm. filled with these oh, it's incredible so one-liners. Such a quotable movie. Um, so my number one is one of the big things that they cut out of the movie that, again, I'm not mad about it. I just thought it was an interesting omission and something that when I read the book for the first time, I was like, oh, this is different. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And that's when Fezzik and Inigo go to find the man in black and they find the albino that still happens. But then in order to get to the torture chamber, the pain dungeon, I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> they have to go through what's called the zoo of death, which is essentially this dungeon filled with everything, every creature that Humperdinck has bested. And I kind of mentioned this earlier where Humperdinck really has this kind of obsession with being the best and hunting and conquering things. Conquering things. And so he takes all of these things that he has conquered and puts them in this zoo of death. And it's this like multi-level dungeon that they have to get through before they find Wesley. And one, it kind of lets you in a little bit more onto Humperdinck and who he is and his backstory and all of that. Yeah. Um, two, it's just a fun scene with Inigo and Fezzik getting through this dungeon. Um, you well, kind of get to. It's also interesting because when Wesley first wakes up on the fifth level, right? It mm-hmm. talks about how he just hears like lions roaring and yeah. all this stuff. And he's just like, where? am I what am I doing here and what is going to happen to me (laughs) yeah um also the machine in the book only goes up to 20 whereas in the movie it's up to 50 but I kind of get it because say way more drama 50 is like so much better better than than not to 20 20. (laughs) (laughs) um but it was just the zoo of death scene if you want to call it that um is just a time where you kind of get to know 
Inigo and Fezzik and their friendship a little bit better and you get to see a little bit more of them overcoming things and fighting to save the man in black a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I I get that, you know, time constraints. It wasn't the most important part of the story. It's not an important detail at all. Yeah, it makes they sense. They still, but... the, the overall storyline's still the same. They find the albino, they get in, they save Wesley, they bring him to Miracle Mag. All that's the same. Um, but I just thought it was interesting uh, when I first read the book to learn about this zoo of death that Humperdinck had and how it was just... It was very different than the movie. Mm-hmm. So it's hard. Our ones this week are not strong grievances because it's really hard it's when the same guy who wrote the book wrote the screenplay. He's a genius. <laughs> he nailed it. So I'm like not mad about any of these. I just when I was going to make my list, I was like, what's different? OK, let's talk about just Differences in general. <laughs> right. So that's my number three. There you go. Or my number one. <laughs> Brain. Brain. Listen, it's been a while. Mm-hmm. It's been a while. This has been a while. Well, cool. We do have a fan faux pas. Mm-hmm. And do you have so that pulled I up? We'll get that right, <laughs> right now. And it's been a while. Sorry, that song's not just going to be stuck in my head. Yep. So Daily M says, I love the movie. It's one of my all-time favorites, but I do like when reading the backstory of Inigo's father and the sword making. And I kind of touched on that, yeah, where um, you get a lot more backstory of Inigo's mm-hmm. father and kind of what went into making that amazing sword. The um, six-fingered sword or whatever they call so, it, something like that. Yeah, they just call it the six-fingered sword in the book. But, yeah. So I'm with you there. I think we agree, Bailey, that. Yeah, still I think an that. Amazing of, movie, but. I think that of all the flashbacks, that, that one would have been the one, like, if I had to choose just one flashback to have in the movie, I think the one with Inigo and his father would have been the most potent one to have because you mm-hmm. have that classic scene at the end. My name, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Prepare to die. Like, yeah. Like, that's such a classic line that everyone knows mm-hmm. that if you had to have only one flashback i think that would have been the one to have because it would have been the most relatable to the ending oh for sure definitely so but with that we just have to ask a really hard question the age-old question was the book better no 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 this better movie is, is so good. Yeah. Just, it's, it's not like the movie's better either. I don't know. They're in on some equal ways, footing. the movie's better. And in some ways, the book's better. So they're on equal footing in my brain. But the movie, I mean, we grew up watching it. I can't even count mm-hmm. how many times we watched that movie growing up at home. We'd watch it like every Sunday as a family. We've seen we it probably like a hundred times at this mm-hmm. point. It's so, so the, good. The movie holds a special place. In my heart. And when I first read the book, I really liked it. But I didn't think, oh, this is so much better than the movie. Right. Because it, it this wasn't. is another one of those instances where I did see the movie before I ever read the book. But mm-hmm. I have since read the book multiple times because I also I did really, really, like really it. enjoy. I really it's really fun it. read. Yeah. It's really fun. And it's funny. It's yes, funny. It's so funny. It's so funny. <laughs> 
And there are jokes that don't make it into the movie. Like, yeah, if you haven't read the book, I think it's a great read. But I think you can watch the movie and get the same story pretty much and have just as much enjoyment. So I don't think the book was better. Yeah, I agree. Hot take. (laughs) I don't know if that's a hot take. I think most people probably (laughs) agree with us on that one. But you let us know. Do you agree? Yeah. Let us know. Do you think it was better or not? From there, we will, like Taylor mentioned earlier, uh, we will be posting some mini-sodes in the next week here. Mm-hmm. If you're not a mini-sode kind of person, not a mini-sode listener, that's cool. Uh, we will see you in two weeks' time, or you will hear us in two weeks' time, uh, when we're going to be doing a, a Dr. Seuss special. So yep. going to be talking That'll about... That'll be fun. Not all Dr. Seuss No, three, three specific but the three Dr. Specific. Seusses. We're yes. going to be doing the Lorax, uh, Horton Hears a Who. Here's a Who, and the Cat and in the Hat. the Cat in the Hat. So. The Grinch is in its own realm. We I mean, there's the so Grinch many Grinch adaptations. Because there are so many now. So, so that'll, that'll be, be its, its own, own thing. Christmas special or yeah, something. So we're going to be talking about, uh, we'll be doing Dr. Seuss in two weeks. Got a couple of mini-sodes in the meantime there for you. But otherwise, have a great week. And don't forget to read.